Welcome in. It is Main Street Sports Day presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. I'm Chris Yao. He's Maurice Patton, and we are live from the Lee Company studio back in our humble abodes. Mo, for another few episodes after one trip to the office and one trip to Murfreesboro. Yeah, um, always on the move, you know. Check in if for no other reason to see where we are. Where we may be. Yeah. <laughs> where, where in the world are Chris and Mo. Yeah, that that makes sense actually. <laughs> yeah, that's a that is a that is a good plan. Just you know, you find us maybe if you're mm-hmm. lucky. Uh, yeah, it's it's been a heck of a couple of weeks, man. And and we went from snow and ice to flooding. Yeah, yeah, literally. It's it's crazy what all is going on, and so we continue to. I guess find the best way to bring you the most timely and comprehensive sports and news discussions on Main Street Sports today. It's what we do. It is, in fact. Big day in Titans country, as I'm wearing the Titans hat. They have introduced to the Nashville world. Brian Callahan is the new head football coach, and he's... Had a press conference. I don't know. It may still be going on. I haven't seen, but <laughs> hopefully it wraps up within the next hour. Yeah, let's hope. And uh, we'll, we'll talk a lot more about it tomorrow on the show with Terry McCormick. Hopefully I can grab that and get some highlights from it. Mm-hmm. And, and kind of talk a little bit about it today with Terry. Yeah, probably. We'll probably, probably get more in depth so. tomorrow because we got a lot. We have a lot today. We've got baseball with John Parado. He'll talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame selections and maybe future Hall of Fame ballots, which are loaded. And so I'm curious his thoughts on what that looks like. Also, we've got Coach's Corner with Jason Tiger, the head boys basketball coach at Franklin High School, and they are rolling right now. They are rolling. Um, had a big win last night, and they are rolling in a loaded district. Three teams out of that district are ranked in this week's Associated Press Class 4A Top 10. And we'll talk about all of those. Mm-hmm. So we'll get to that. We've got a throwback Thursday. We'll take you back to Grant McCauley from last Monday and and just kind of rehash what he had to say about the Atlanta Braves. And there's some Braves news today. Yeah. With Jim Powell. Not on the field, but yeah, yeah. there's definitely some news. So there, there's a lot to talk about today. We might as well, we need to probably get into it because we have got a ton of stuff. So let's go ahead, get you yesterday's results and today's schedule on the rundown. This is the rundown. High school girls basketball scores from Wednesday night. Cookville defeated Laverne 66-17. Brentwood with a 63-51 win over Independence. Lebanon down Smyrna 69-26. It was Page 63, Centennial 24. Ravenwood with a 52-51 win over Franklin. Greenbrier defeated Station Camp 59-49. And it was Summit 41, Nolansville 38. On the boys' side, Cookville down Laverne 79-68. Brentwood. 62, Independence, 43. 
Lebanon, 68-55 winners over Smyrna. Mount Juliet falls to Beach, 52-45. Centennial with a 56-34 win over Page. Franklin again downs Ravenwood, 51-49. And Station Camp was a 55-48 winner over Greenbrier. While Summit down Nolensville, 59-52. In college basketball, men's side, big win for MTSU. Nick McDevitt gets his first Conference USA win of the year for the Blue Raiders as they defeat Jacksonville State, 75-67. And Mo and I were on hand for that along with Joe Sullivan. Now, women's side down in Jacksonville, Middles women take it to the Lady Gamecocks, 67-45 the final there. Today's schedule at the high school level, these are double headers set to start at 6 o'clock with one exception, apparently. <laughs> Girls first. Brentwood Academy is at Ensworth. That's a 5 o'clock tip. At 6 o'clock, Green Hill is at Beach. Oakland goes to Blackman. Kalioka hosts Richland. Clarksville Academy travels to Ezell Harding. Clarksville Northeast goes north of the border, taking on Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Good Pasture hosting Davidson Academy. Santa Fe goes to Hampshire. McGavick is at Overton. Pleasant View Christian is at Lancaster Christian. Lawrence County hosts Tullahoma. Father Ryan travels to Lipscomb Academy. Loretto taking on visiting Mount Pleasant. Friendship Christian is at Nashville Christian. Harpeth Hall is at Pope Prep. That is a girls-only game. Uh, Middle Tennessee Christian goes to Providence Christian. West Creek is at Rossview. Stewart's Creek hosting Laverne. Merrill Hyde is at White House. And Franklin Classical is at Zion Christian. Girls-only, including that Harpeth Hall Pope Prep game, also at 6, Christ Presbyterian is at St. Cecilia. On the boys' side, Columbia Academy is at Webb Bellbuckle. That's a 6 o'clock boys-only tip as well. Women's basketball tonight, Fisk goes to Wiley. That's a 5 o'clock tip as well as Austin P at Stetson and Lipscomb at Florida Gulf Coast at 5.30. UT Southern takes on uh, Middle Georgia State down in Pulaski. Uh, on the men's side, that uh, UT Southern double header with the men to follow the women there. Uh, Austin P is at Stetson. I don't think that's accurate. Uh, no, I don't either. Stetson women are at Austin P. Austin P's men are at Stetson. That's and, correct. And similarly, Florida Gulf Coast women are at Lipscomb? Correct. While Lipscomb o'clock starts. Yeah, Lipscomb's men will be at Florida Gulf Coast. Yeah. And on the ice, the Predators are a trip and a half away in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. It's 7 o'clock puck drop on Bally Sports South, and that is your rundown. Up stories brought to you, as always, by our friends at Piggly Wiggly, Neely's Mill Shopping Center in Columbia. Yeah, it's a... Delicious daily, daily specials. You've got great hand-cut meats, fresh produce, and everything on the shelf. It's cost plus 10 at the register. And let me tell you, those cobblers worth the price. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Make sure to go. One of those would go good right now. No doubt. I've got some soup in the crock pot Mm -hmm. later, and I am... Pretty fired up about it, I'm not going to lie. Okay. All right. So, but today's top story, let's start, Mo, with our friends at the uh, Tennessee 
Sports Writers Association as they have their weekly Players of the Week. Yes, uh, the TSWA has named its men's and women's basketball players of the week from January 15th through 21st. And one of them is, a, well, they're both familiar names for different reasons. King freshman Mikhail Pocknett had a double-double last week, scored 27 points with 11 rebounds against Barton. Um, leading King University with 16.1 points, 6.9 rebounds. And this is his second TSWA award of the year to go with one that he picked up back in November. On the women's side, former Ravenwood standout Reagan Grimes from Tennessee Tech is named TSWA Women's Basketball Player of the Week after scoring 31 points, shooting 10 of 15 from the floor, 10 of 11 from the line in the Lady Eagles 86-81 win at Tennessee State. So congratulations to both Mikhail Pocknett from King University and Reagan Grimes from Tennessee Tech via Ravenwood. TSWA's Men's and Women's Basketball Players of the Week this week. All right, let's get into our top story, which is very simply Jim Harbaugh is headed to the National Football League. And that means that Michigan has an open. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. Jim Harbaugh did this perfectly. I think he knew he was going to the Chargers a week ago. I think the Chargers knew he was going there a week ago. But he did it after spring semester classes have started across the country. Mm. And so now those players who may have transferred can't get in anywhere. Because spring's already started. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's one way to look at it, that he did it the right way. For his sake, for his, for for Michigan's sake anyway. This is a troublesome situation. I mean, anyway it goes. This, I mean, this scenario, you know, what we saw at Alabama and open season down there and what we see here and the kids kind of being stuck. Because mm-hmm. classes have started, and you know, just taking the way you pitched it, I mean, it was it was kind of manipulative. Absolutely, it was. The kids are put in a spot where they can't leave. Pretty much, that's a problem. But. As you saw with... But, I mean, the, the exodus at Alabama is also a problem, especially with Ohio State sitting there with, with an open checkbook, apparently. <laughs> no doubt. And that, that's I, a problem as well. I think so, too. But, I think it, this is... The, and I don't know how you fix this. Uh, yeah. I just... But, I We have... We have tried to hash it out on this show we've given out some ideas some thoughts and i don't and like you say every one of them has consequences mm-hmm. absolutely so i don't know how you fix it i don't know if you fix it 
I think there are some players on that roster that a school might make an exception for, <laughs> if necessary. I, I would imagine. I would definitely imagine. But, you know, Harbaugh to the Chargers. How long have we been saying that? Uh, a month. I mean, it's arguably the best job. He's arguably the best candidate. I would agree with that. And and, and I think he's the best candidate for that job mm-hmm. on top of everything else. But I think I think to me, Jim Harbaugh was the best NFL coaching candidate available. Yeah. He's the only cycle. one sans Bill Belichick. And if you take away Tom Brady, mm-hmm. then he's the only one who's been to a Super Bowl. Speaking of Super Bowls. When what are we going to see that Harbaugh Harbaugh? When we're going to see that Harbaugh Harbaugh Super Bowl? Never mind that Baltimore and the Chargers are in the same conference. And never mind that we did see it ten years ago. Yeah, where you been, bro? <laughs> it's been a decade since we've seen it. I don't know what you're. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. I don't know who made that tweet, but that's that's a tough look. What? Yeah, it, it's. Is there still time to delete it? <laughs> I don't think yeah, so. I think the, the best time would have been then. Now would be the second best. <laughs> <laughs> this I mean you you don't think that this won't work because again you've got the quarterback, right? You've got the quarterback and you feel like Kansas City is at the top of that division but you also feel like both the Raiders and the Broncos are certainly in flux. I think that is a accurate statement. I'm trying to find. Yeah. And I don't know if I can even read this LA times article, but I'm opening it. Uh, It's it is a, a a really rough roster situation for the Chargers. Apparently, CBS says that they are more than fifty million in salary cap debt. Correct. Which means they got to start cutting some folks. Who's it going to be? Who is it going to be? And. Uh, Part of what kept the roster intact last season included restructuring of Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa, Keenan Allen, and Mike Williams. Those decisions will eat up significant cap space in 24. The failed free agent signing and subsequent trade of cornerback J.C. Jackson will continue to haunt the team uh, as they have $15 million in dead money with him. Eight players who have prominent roles are set to be unrestricted free agents, including Austin Eckler. Uh, Telling you, man, this is tough. This, this is why. This is the whole reason why I didn't think the Chargers' job was the best job. This is why, because I, I think you are in a an impossible roster situation, no matter who your coach is. You're in salary cap hell, huh? You are in salary cap hell. We've been there. We've seen it. 
and they, they do have the number five pick. They do have the number five pick, and you'll get you know, I, I think they're going to end up having to go with a lot of rookies. They may end up having to trade some some of their bigger pieces to get picks in order to decrease the salary cap and still have enough players to play. So it may be a step back to go forward. Yeah. Kind of thing, or maybe even a couple of steps back to go forward. And is Jim Harbaugh enough to keep Justin Herbert around? I don't know what Herbert's contract situation is. Uh, he's still in his rookie deal, though, right? I mean, he yeah. he was only drafted, what? This was his third year, wasn't it? Yeah, he was drafted in 2020. So he's still in his rookie contract, which means in two years. So 2021, 22, 23. So he just finished his fourth year. So this is his last year? This, you would think, yeah. That could be a problem because maybe you don't have the quarterback. Yeah, But, you know, I would think if you are the coach and you are taking that job under the pretense, under the presumption that you do have the quarterback, those conversations have been had, haven't they? One would think. Trying to find, I don't see his, I don't see his his contract information on his Pro Football Reference. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I so I don't know what it is, but I I do think that that's a, that's that's got to have been a, a something that was brought up with Justin Herbert before. Yeah, has to going out and getting Jim Harbaugh because Jim Harbaugh had to ask the question. Yeah. So yeah, you I, had to have I, an I think this is a this is a did. really. <laughs> Right, and so I hope that this situation is enough to to keep him. If if you're you know if you're the Chargers, it's got to be. Uh, and for you know for the Chargers franchise, again, like you said, you've you've got the Chiefs who are consistently winning this division. It's not like you can just go out there and ho hum it to a a division title like you can in the South, both NFC and AFC, you know, you can kind of luck your way into a title down here. You can't do that out there. No, you cannot. And so, I I mean, it makes it a tough gig and that's, again, that's why I didn't think it was the best job. Now, again, he's done a really good job. Everywhere. He's won. He's won everywhere. Everywhere. Stanford. One, San Francisco, hey, which hey, is hey, cool. Hey, University of San Diego before Stanford. That's right. He he won at San Diego, not, not San, San Diego, Diego State. State. <laughs> that is important. San Diego, that is important information. Yes, yes. <laughs> and Michigan obviously just won a national title. So, neither of the two national title competitors will have their head coach in 2024. That's wild. That is wild. Is Sharon Moore Michigan's next head coach? Yes. I agree. If not him, then who? Oh. I hadn't even thought about it. 
I mean, there's only one name that I keep hearing, and that's Brian Kelly. Hmm. That would set some folks off. But here's the thing. If you're Brian Kelly or anybody else in, you know, what was the SEC West, I guess. I don't guess it any longer exists. But why do you leave now? I think Brian Kelly is a interesting situation because obviously going back to what he knows is probably a little safer. But I hate to tell him, 2024, 2024 Big Ten forward ain't the ACC. Well, I mean, I don't know. Hey, yeah. I don't know that... 2024 Michigan is any safer than 2024 LSU. Probably not, but again, he's he would go back where he knows. He he, he understands recruiting for uh, that area. Think, he understands. Uh, rec- you, I don't. You, you don't think he knows? I don't think he can recruit the South as well as he as well as he expected. Here's the thing, though, and we've said this on this show My family. on occasions. <laughs> family. Um, <laughs> how well do you have to recruit to get players at LSU? And who yet. Louis- who, who in Louisiana doesn't grow up wanting to go to LSU? And yet. I'm just saying. I don't think it's going to matter. I think Sharon Moore is the candidate. I think Sharon Moore gets the job. I think it it saves them when portal season does roll around again. I yeah, think that continuity. I, I think he won four ball games last year, including a win over Ohio State. So, Ryan Day said thanks. I, I'm just saying. I think Sharon Moore has to be the, has to be the, the guy. Anyway, that's your top story brought to you by Piggly Wiggly, Neely's Mill Shopping Center in Columbia. Again, delicious deli specials, of course, every day. And a, and the fresh hand-cut meats, great produce, all cost plus 10 at the register. Well, let's take a break. We've got Coach's Corner on the other side of it. Jason Tiger joins us, so stick around on Main Street Sports Today. Presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. Back in a moment. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or www.mtbj.net. With Lee Company Technology, the best handymen are hands-off. Lee Company Techs have been using visual findings and other smart technology tools for years to add transparency and virtually take customers along. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on a roof. With Lee Company, technology helps us help you, no matter what's happening in the world or at your house. 
Jones and Lang Sporting Goods here in Columbia has been outfitting teams, officials, and anybody else from T-ball to college for 50 plus years. Be sure and check them out at 931-388-8060 or online at jonesandlang.com. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods, the look of a winner. Zion Christian Academy, zioneagles.org or 931-388-5731. You can schedule your appointment. Go toward their campus. It is beautiful over there and you're definitely going to want to see it. Again, it's zioneagles.org. Give them a call, 931-388-5731 and schedule your tour today. Custom Stone Handler supplies over 600 distributors and suppliers with quality stone products. Along with River Stone, we produce and distribute over 100 building, landscape, and other bulk products. Our goal is to provide quality products, service, and partnerships to ensure our customers' success. We firmly believe that the measure of any person or company is how they treat other people and customers. Give them a call at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic service and our ortho quick walk-in clinic lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtbj.net. Welcome back to Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. Chris Yao, Mo Patton here on this Thursday edition, and it's Thursday, which means, of course, we're talking high school sports to a larger degree than normal on the show. We will get into some bowling. State championships took place yesterday. We'll talk about that a little bit later. We'll also talk about the Associated Press Top 10 polls, which includes, Mo, our next guest. Absolutely, it does. Um, Franklin Admirals boys basketball coach Jason Tiger joining us here on Coach's Corner. Ads coming off of a big victory last night, keeping them undefeated in District 10-4A and um, out in front of a stacked district. Coach Tiger, thank you for joining us. Hey, we like that background, man. Good. Um, <laughs> Good stuff I appreciate right that. Yeah. yeah. Um, last night, I mean, it's it's again, it's always tough in this district. We're going to talk a little bit more about it in a second, but um, had to come up with a big one on the road. Yeah, Ravenwood's is always a tough environment for us to go play in. Um, uh, going into this uh, season, uh, you know, they kind of had our number here as of recently, and so we've been able fortunately to to win two close games with them this season and so uh very proud of the effort of the guys uh game could have gone either way but you know this team this year they they um they don't play too high not too low uh they don't panic and that's helped us be very fortunate in a lot of these close games 51-49 last night after a 66-64 win back on January 2nd at your place over the, the Raptors. Um, nine straight wins now. What is it you're yeah, doing right? 
Well, we, you know, we don't play a lot of kids. And so early in the year, um, from a conditioning standpoint, I don't think we were quite, quite there. And so we kind of played our way into shape and um, ended up um, going over and played pretty well in tournament Riverdale. And then went down to Florida. We go down there for every year for uh, over at least the last several years uh, to Destin for a tournament and really uh, started playing well. Um, and it's just kind of carried on throughout the uh, the new year and into district play. And uh, uh, guys, um, uh, now the snow break hurt us uh, kind of as far as our conditioning goes as well. So we're back in that same mode where we're kind of playing our way back into shape. Um, but uh, it's been, you know, we've that trip's been really good for us over the last couple of years. We felt like we've come out back playing our best basketball after that trip and and that's what you want going into district play 14 and 4 overall 6 and 0 in district play following that win last night another big one tomorrow night as you go to Brentwood and that's always always a dog fight going back to pretty much the opening of Brentwood um beat them 54-51 in overtime at your place earlier this year um what are you expecting out of that one well, it sounds I mean, like they're playing really well, also right now. Yeah, they got a big win last night um, over Independence. Uh, I watched that that film last night. Um, they've got a good team. Uh, obviously, Coach Bond is a, a legendary coach. He does a great job. Um, they can they can you know they're known for their zone defensively, but they can they can play man. They're, they're playing a little faster this year. They've got an elite um, big man in Cochran, um, and they've got nice pieces around them as well. And so it, uh, it will, without question, be a tough task to go over there and, and, and get a win. You talk about Cochran being an elite big man. You've, you've got a pretty elite big man as well. And after losing him last year, because I, I, I had an opportunity to see you all with Christian Brown last year before he suffered that season-ending leg injury, and – from the outside looking in, I felt like he was really the missing piece for you guys, considering the way you shot it from the perimeter. And I would imagine that really impacted y'all when you lost him last year. Getting him back, what has that meant to, you know, how you all have been re- been able to play? Yes, I mean, without question, we can You know, when we lost him, um, um, we kind of became a, a one-trick pony where, you know, it was a three-ball or, or it. And so having Christian in that inside presence has significantly helped us out on both ends of the court. Uh, offensively, uh, Christian averaging over 17 a game, um, can step out and shoot the basketball, uh, uh, obviously finishes around the basket well. And then defensively, just having that, that rim protection uh, and he does it in a couple different ways. That's, that's what makes Christian really special. He's not only an elite shot blocker, he's also a great charge taker, leads us in taking charges. And so that's not normal to have uh, a you know post player of, of his size lead you in charge taking as well, just because he, he does block shots so well. So it just adds another layer uh, to his uh, protecting the paint. Jason Tiger, Franklin, boys basketball coach here, joining us on Coach's Corner on Main Street Sports today. Coach, Christian is a junior 
this year. And what? that's most of your team. You only have two seniors, including, of course, Davis Long, who is a big-time guard for you guys. But, you know, not having a lot of seniors on this team, and, and of course, you, you had a lot of young guys who contributed last year. How how you know how much has that impacted the, the team and and kind of the mindset of your squad that you know it, it's kind of a a different leader instead of your senior leaders having to take a role some of your younger guys do too well yeah it's just a, it's a tight group uh davis does a great job of, of mentorship and and leader he has a great leadership style on this team because he leads by example both on and off the court uh he's He's just, um, uh, he's really good locker room guy. Uh, Christian is, is uh, a competitor um, and has, uh, you know, really just fits with, with this group. And, and those guys, you know, they, they, you know, they have the, the stats and all that, but the other guys embrace their roles. And that is something that's really been special uh, with this team so far this year. We did, we lost a, a lot of kids from last year. If you look at, we beat independence last year towards the end of the year, we played five kids and Davis is the only returning player that got on the floor that night. And so this team this summer uh, really started to bond um, and we figured some things out chemistry wise and embracing your role on the team is like a lost art in 2024. You know, it's like a old school <laughs> throwback. I mean, it's, and I, I'm kind of an old school guy. So I truly appreciate it from uh, those guys, whether it's, it's, it's Davis Long, Christian Brown, or to the guy at the very end of the bench that's, a, that's a, you know, just very glad to be part of the team. And so those, those pieces, um, embracing those roles is important and and nobody everybody treats each other as they're important as well and that's that's important it makes a lot of sense i mean again you you guys you don't you don't have a lot of seniors on this team you you, you did lose cooper jordan riley and jack and sam last year off last year's team and just seems like you guys haven't missed a beat so and obviously record wise now you say you had to play your way into this this is the time of year where it's the most important how do you feel like this team, you know, you're playing your best basketball right now. Can, is this sustainable throughout the rest of this month and into, you know, obviously district play, which starts in you know, mid-February? Yeah, well, we've got to stay healthy. Um, we've got to be, um, you know, somehow um, keep our legs. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of games here coming up with the snow kind of backed us up. We've got, uh, I think, three consecutive weeks where we got three games. Um, so, you know, we've got, a, we found a good routine that's working for us. We're, we're doing, we're, we're not as much live action and practice this year, more fine tuning and using film as our way to prepare defensively instead of repping it, uh, in live action. Um, that mostly because we are playing, you know, most of the minutes are going to five guys. So a lot of more film. Um, a lot more just shooting and trying to stay sharp and being conscious that, you know, this is a marathon and not, uh, you know, a sprint. And so um, that's just been our approach. And like we've literally had the same practice going on for weeks now. 
I mean, it's just like routine and we're not, we're not today. We'll do the same exact thing. And so that's something that's also unique uh, to have a team that doesn't get bored with it or just go through the motions. They treat each rep, even though it's, I mean, it's just over and over and over again, that it matters. Every shot they take in practice matters. And uh, to find that routine that's working and to embrace it and to not um, get bored with it uh, takes a special kid as well. It takes a special coach to be able to adapt to that, I would think, as well, Coach, because you're used to practicing and, like you said, getting on the floor and repping your, dif- your different defenses and that kind of thing. And for you to kind of realize – what you're doing personnel wise and to recognize we got to dial this back if we want these guys to be at their best when it matters you know there's i think there's something to be said for that probably well i mean back when i was early in my career i would have never done this i mean i was every practice would have been just absolute war and you know and i'm glad that i've figured out something over 20 years of coaching (laughs) And these kids play all, they play so much more year round as well. You know, they're just, that's, that's another piece of it. That, that wasn't always, hasn't always been the case. And so, um, um, we are mindful of that. And I, that is something I think I have learned. Coach, walk us through the rest of this district. I don't want you to tell me who you think is your, your best competition or your, because <laughs> uh, cause I don't want to give anybody else any bulletin board material necessarily, but, I mean, did you know that you were going to have three three teams out of this district in the AP top ten? We the the league uh, really felt like this is probably the most competitive that it's been. I, I mean, as long as I've been around, um, there's from top to bottom. You know, I, going into the the league early on or. Um, the season, I, I know a lot of people had question marks on, on Summit, and Summit has, has uh, got them a, a couple really quality wins. Um, uh, and so, you know, I think everybody's going to be tight come tournament, tournament time. I mean, there's nobody's going to feel good either, whether it's the one seed, uh, you know, or two seed, whatever. It's everybody, and that's not always the case. I mean, it's, there's been years where I had really, really good teams, and I felt very, very confident that that first round matchup to get in the region is you're in pretty good shape it's you know it's it's tough um, and so i anybody can beat anybody on any night in this league and that's already proven to be the case mm-hmm. um and so it has been it's been awesome i think it's been i'm so glad that we have the eight teams together the atmospheres have been phenomenal um, we'll have another one at Brentwood that will be jam-packed with with two schools that just don't like one another, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, you know, it's it's just you got some good coaches in the league, and you got a great senior class, just elite senior class, super competitive, and it's a lot of fun. At Brentwood tomorrow night at Independence a week from tomorrow night. And because of the snow situation from last week, back-to-back games against Centennial um, later next month, that's 
going home and home right there on Wednesday and Friday, February 7th. Like the NBA playoffs. <laughs> there you go. Um, interesting schedule in there. Obviously, probably couldn't be couldn't be avoided, but kind of is what it is. But um, well, that yeah, and that was that was a situation. That's the snow situation, and then you got you run into it's you know we're got a shortage of referees, and so if you try to put that game on a certain other, another day then it makes it a little bit more difficult. Whereas like a Wednesday, there's referees available because that's not a normal day for high school basketball. And so there's a lot of things that, that, that come into play in the district and decided that we wanted to keep things the same for everybody. Instead of doing just say this school makes this decision and this school, we would just be uniform if possible. Uh, this year and so that was the we got together on some zooms with our county athletic director and just kind of debated what we wanted to do and and then voted on it and, and that's how we ended up there and with an even number of teams I'm sure that made it a lot easier to do a lot of that as well it did yes yeah great Franklin boys basketball coach Jason Tiger joining us here on coach's corner on Main Street Sports today coach Appreciate your time. Congratulations on this great start. Good luck as you go north tomorrow night. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Always good stuff there. Absolutely. We've got, we've got more high school sports to talk about, including the AP Top 10 polls for all of the classes we and, and both boys and girls, which, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Isn't always the case. It was just fantastic news. And we will talk about uh, bowling. We've got just all kinds of great stuff coming your way here. So stick around. Main Street Sports State presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joints back in just a moment. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or www.mtbj.net. Custom Stone Handler supplies over 600 distributors and suppliers with quality stone products. Along with River Stone, we produce and distribute over 100 building, landscape, and other bulk products. Our goal is to provide quality products, service, and partnerships to ensure our customers' success. We firmly believe that the measure of any person or company is how they treat other people and customers. Give them a call at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. With Lee Company technology, the best handymen are hands-off. 
Lee Company Techs have been using visual findings and other smart technology tools for years to add transparency and virtually take customers along. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on a roof. With Lee Company, technology helps us help you, no matter what's happening in the world or at your house. Piggly Wiggly, located in Neely's Mill Shopping Center, is Columbia's locally owned and operated Cost Plus 10 grocery store dedicated to serving the community with low prices and smiling faces. Piggly Wiggly offers fresh, hand-cut meats daily as well as daily hot plate lunches from their deli counter. You're certain to see smiling faces and a helping hand when you're here at Piggly Wiggly. Come by and check out our fresh produce, high-quality meats, and more. Down home, down the street, we'll see you at the Pig. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic service, and our ortho quick walk-in clinic lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtbj.net. Welcome back. It is Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint from the Lee Company Studios with the S again. But, sure. you know, Chris Yamo Patton here with you. And it's time now to talk a little bit of high school sports. Anytime we have a state champion in our immediate coverage area here in the, uh, the southern middle portion of the Main Street Preps footprint, that usually takes precedent over anything else we talk about in the high school ranks. So let's go ahead and get it out of the way. Talk a little bit about all of these state champions, at least uh, the ones from Middle Tennessee. Yeah, um, Alex Davis of Columbia Central um, Junior over there, after placing fifth in the Division One Boys Bowling Tournament a year ago, won the whole dang thing yesterday. Pretty exciting championship match with he and... Stewart's Creek freshman Mateo Quintero. Davis won it by four pins. Mm, that's good. I, hey, look, that's four. that that is always when you can get a competitive match like that. Now, was Davis the two seed? No, Davis was the one seed. So he was sitting there in the ladder match. The the top six semifinalists advanced to ladder. It's five six versus five. Versus four, versus three. That's why they call it ladder. You're working your way up. And so right. he has to sit there and watch and wait and battle those nerves. And um, clearly he was ready when it was time. So um, opened up with four straight strikes and, again, went on to win 226 to 222, becoming Columbia Central's fifth individual bowling championship uh bowling champion their first since um 2016 so big win for him and again won by four pins that was the closest of the four individual championship matches yesterday um on let's talk about this division two mm -hmm. speaking of the ladder matches mm -hmm. because logan winkler had to climb the entire thing Friendship Christian senior Logan Winkler was the number five seed going into the ladder matches, which means he had to 
He had to compete in four matches before even getting to the state finals. He does so winning 215-145 to 145 over teammate Brody West. Then he wins over Finn Donnelly of Pope Prep. Then he wins over another teammate, John Brooks. And then beats Pope Prep's Zane Collins in ladder match four before Jackson Roberts, the number one seed at St. Benedict, goes down 223 to 169 in the finals. Logan Winkler, five wins in five tries to win a state title. And, you know, that's... I think that's kind of the other side of the latter match. I mean, we've talked about it in various other forms on this show. Rest versus rust. When you're in a when you're in a rhythm, feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme. Getting up, it's bowling time. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations to Logan Winkler coming out of the number five spot in the ladder to win Division Two. On the girls' side, um, Hardin County's Macy Bromley defeated Kenzie Bond of Bartlett to win the Division One championship after defeating her sister, her twin sister, in the next to last match. In fact, those two had each won a state championship over the last two years. So I guess Macy's got a leg up on, I think it's Millie Bromley. Millie, Millie is correct. And they're seniors too. So Macy, so Macy goes out on top. <laughs> Macy, Macy's got bragging rights going, going to the house here. Yeah. So congratulations to her. Um, Friendship Christian swept the boys and girls individual titles as Olivia Rush defeated Harding, Harding Academy's Simone Guyton in the finals, 181 to 167. So congrats to our four individual champions. Team bowling began today. Um, and unfortunately, speaking speaking of our, our southern middle Tennessee local teams, Lawrence County fell 23 to 4 to Bartlett in the quarterfinals. They were eliminated. However, Columbia Academy defeated Boyd uh Boyd Buchanan 24 to 3. So they um the Bulldogs will be bowling at nine o'clock tomorrow in the semifinals. So good luck to them. All right. Congrats to those bowlers. Man, it, I hope you took your earplugs if you went, folks. Uh, if not, you know yeah. that you can't hear us today, and that's okay. Most likely not, yep. Uh, so, before we get into the high school AP polls, because this may be the biggest news in high school of the day. <laughs> out of Lipscomb Academy. Big news on their Twitter account from, I guess, a couple hours ago. When they announced a new defensive coordinator. A new defensive coordinator. Defensive. And the name may shock you now that you know that he's a defensive coordinator. Defensive coordinator. But he is also a former San Diego State linebacker. Linebacker. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm, this may make more sense, really, than the other did. Former Independence coach Scott Blade has joined Jamie Graham's staff at Lipscomb Academy as defensive coordinator. And I think it's a fantastic hire, particularly for a young coach. 
Anytime you can get someone with the experience of Scott Blade on your staff, no matter what he's doing, mm. what position he's coaching or what if he's coordinating, whatever, anybody with that type of experience, you take their help. And clearly Scott Blade was one of the premier coaches in Middle Tennessee during his time at Independence and in East Tennessee during his time at Oak Ridge. <laughs> and Hillsborough before that. And so, I mean, this is a guy who's done it well everywhere he's been, and he knows how to get the most out of his players. Great coach, great football mind, and well done, Jamie Graham. Absolutely. Blade, 37-5 and five in three years at Hillsboro with a 2008 Class 4A state championship. 35-15 and 15 in four seasons at Oak Ridge, including a 10-2 and two season in his final year there before coming back to Independence where he went 74-37 and 37 over 10 seasons with a state championship and a state championship game appearance. So... Um, like you said, one one of the best to do it in this area, coming back as defensive coordinator after um, being out of it for the last couple of years, and it's good to see. Yeah, no doubt. So congrats to Scott Blade. Congrats to Lipscomb Academy. They're getting a couple good ones over there to this point, and I'm sure Jamie Graham's staff is going to be very, very, very good in the end. All right, let's get into these AP polls. We got a few minutes here, and we can start in Division One Class Four A, where four teams receive first place votes. It's kind of all over the place, isn't it? It is kind of all over the place. One of those four teams we talked about a little bit in our last segment, Ravenwood, is ranked third, and just took it on the chin against Franklin last night, fifty-one forty-nine, but um. Again, one of one of three teams from District 10-4A that are ranked, along with number six, Independence, and number nine, Franklin. I imagine those may shift slightly next week. <laughs> no doubt. But, Siegel uh, hopping in at number five, too, over in the Murfreesboro area. Uh, Cookville was the other was one of the other teams receiving first place votes. Mm-hmm. The Cavaliers got one. Bartlett and Cordova are one and two out of the Memphis area, followed by Ravenwood, Cookville, Siegel, Independence, Powell, Bearden, Franklin, and Ray County. So. Class 3A, uh, really it, it appears that there are the haves and have-nots almost uh, because the, the point totals are obvious. It, it's obvious where the the cream of the crop has risen to, and that is, you know, the, the tops of this class with Fulton at the top, Fayetteware, Dyer County, and then Lawrence County at four. Yeah, Lawrence County at four, but as you mentioned, Upperman at number five, they received their first place vote. Mm-hmm. And then you're followed by Munford, Bolivar, Unicoi County, Ridgeway, and Chester County closing out the top ten in 3A. State tournament Appearance from Power Center Academy last year, they also received votes. 
And obviously coming off a state tournament appearance, you feel like they have a chance to be among the best. pretty impressive looking uh, when we saw them against Giles County last year as well. So, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, in Class 2A, undefeated Douglas. They get 11 of the 12 first place votes with Gatlinburg-Pittman getting the only other one. Mm-hmm. Followed by Kingston, Tyner, Grundy County, South Green, Austin East, Westmoreland at number eight, Summertown at number nine, and Camden at ten. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. In Class 1A, well, they're still there, Mo. They are still there. You know why? Primarily because they haven't lost. The Wildcats of Santa Fe, led by... 35.7 point per game scorer, Alden Slaughter. Mr. Basketball candidate, by the way. For those, yeah, for for those of you who, who may have, have. Have some say in that. Um, Wildcats 16 yeah. and 1. Like you said, Harriman is number 2, followed by Union City, Middleton, Pickett County, University. It's pretty, pretty broad. I'm pretty sure it's University School of Johnson City at 6. Eagleville 7, Chattanooga Prep, Houston County, and Humboldt rounding out the top 10 in 1A. I, I, would, I would like to also say Harriman at number two with the three first place votes. Same record as Santa Fe, and they've got a kid who is as legit a basketball player as you're going to see at the Class 1A level. Six foot seven kid headed to Murray State. I don't know his name uh, because the person who sent me his highlight tape <laughs> – just said that he's legit D1. <laughs> and I watched the highlight tape, and he's and legit he D1. Right. <laughs> well, the guy, I would never question the person who sent it to me when talking about uh, talent. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Uh, Div Division 2, go ahead. Uh, D2, 2A, um, Pope Prep out in front with nine first place votes, 22 and 3 as of this vote. Um, Briarcrest is two, Macaulay's three, Brentwood Academy is four, and Baylor is five in D2A. Silverdale is at the top. First Assembly Christian out of the Memphis area is number two, followed by Battleground Academy, Good Pasture, and Providence Christian. All right, quickly on the girls' side, Bradley Central leads Div uh, Division One Class 4A. With 10 of a 12, 12, 10 of 12 first place votes, with Cookville getting a first place vote, which is understandable completely. Clarksville, still undefeated, has not gotten a first place vote despite Amari Berry's you know, existence. And <laughs> <laughs> they sit at number four. Uh, Coffee County's at five, Cookville's at six, Brentwood, Campbell County, Columbia Central in at number nine, and then Morristown East at 10. Lebanon received votes and they was did. just outside the top, the top ten. They're, they're number eleven. <laughs> In um, class three A, you've got White White County and Upperman tied at the top of the poll. White County with four first place votes, Upperman with eight. That's I feel like that would be a tiebreaker. Yeah, <laughs> one would think. One would think. <laughs> um, Heritage is three. Dyersburg is four. David Crockett five. Chester County, Northview, Signal Mountain, Clinton, and Cumberland County round out now, the 3A top 10. The 3A around here is almost 
non-existent. <laughs> 2A, McMinn Central gets 11 of the 12 first place votes, and they sit at number one, followed by Gatlinburg, Pittman, and Loretto at number three. Mm-hmm. Gibson County and Huntington at four and five. Cheatham County sliding in at number six. I'm telling you, Cheatham County has a legitimate chance, but they've got to go through Loretto. They've got to go through you know, Summertown, Westview. That This is a loaded region. Westview's at seven, tied with Summertown, York Institute, and Peabody at nine and ten. Just absolutely loaded is this Class 2A region. No doubt. In 1A, Wayne County drew 10 of the 12 first-place votes. They are number one. Um, Pickett County, Cloudland, Moore County at four, Richland at five, tied with Sunbright. North Green at seven, Middle College, Sail Creek, and Clark Range round out your top ten. In Division 2-2A, it's Knoxville Catholic, Father Ryan, Hutchison out of Memphis, Chattanooga Christian, and Lipscomb Academy are your top five. They only vote for five. And in D2A, it's Providence Christian, Silverdale, the King's Academy, Good Pasture, and University School of Jackson are your top five. There you go. That's your AP top ten and top fives. (laughs) And and top fives. And so we will take a quick break. When we come back, Terry McCormick joins us for your Daily Titans update. Stick around. Since 1975, Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint Clinic has treated the orthopedic needs of Middle Tennessee residents. The trained physicians provide surgical options and minimally invasive options to treat all orthopedic needs. The walk-in clinic, OrthoQuick, helps you bypass the ER while treating sports injuries and acute needs Monday through Saturday. Visit MTBJ online at mtbj.net or on social media at Mid-Tennessee Bone Joint Clinic. Time for the Daily Titans update with Terry McCormick. Terry, what's up, man? Well, Brian Callahan had his first press conference as the uh, Titans' new head coach, and I think it kind of went about as people would have expected. Uh, He was asked a couple of questions about Will Levis and his development, and certainly uh, he said he's looking forward to working with him and trying to maximize him. And the reason that's such a big deal is not only because quarterback play is a premium now in the NFL, but when you uh, look at the impressive resume of guys that uh, Brian Callahan has worked with over the years, it, the list includes Peyton Manning and Matthew Stafford and Derek Carr and Joe Burrow, and then most recently with Jake Browning, uh, tailoring the Bengals playbook to make him uh, the most effective that he can be. I was told that uh, they streamlined a lot of things once Burrow went out to excuse me, make sure that Browning 
was as comfortable as he could be, and also told uh, this that going way back to when he was with first with the Denver Broncos, his quarterback, he was a low-level assistant for was none other than Tim Tebow, and that he was the guy who went and researched a lot of the stuff, the RPOs and stuff that Broncos put in at the time to kind of maximize Tebow's ability and uh, kind of, you know, spurred that six-game winning streak, you remember, that the Broncos had with Tebow at quarterback, including winning a playoff game against Pittsburgh. So uh, Brian Callahan getting, uh, you know, the gold star for doing those sorts of things. Well, that kind of diligence and that ability to, like you said, get the most out of the guy at that position, whether it be Tim, uh, Tim Tebow or Jake Browning, makes you feel pretty good about him coming in here and working with a Will Levis. Yeah, I mean, it really does because I think, you know, it's going to be a situation too where, you know, Rome's not going to be built in a day. This team has a lot of holes. You know, there's offensive line issues. There are receiver issues with anybody not named DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, There are issues on the defense. And he talked about the lessons that he and Zach Taylor learned uh, with the Bengals during those early years when Taylor first got the job, the pre-Joe Burrow days, if you will, and how that they could see the team still growing, even though they weren't seeing the success. They could see the things coming together and knew that once the pieces got in place that they would be successful, that they were doing it the right way. So I think that has to be encouraging for Titans fans too because I think we all know that even though there's a lot of camp space, and they've got a full complement of draft picks pretty much with seven of them, that it's still going to be a little bit of a rocky ride to get this thing back on track. I think you're, you're probably right. I mean, it's, 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 you know, we've been saying that all of the issues were, were never going to be fixed in a year. Of course, Rand Carthen now has carte blanche to do what is necessary to fix this team. And I think that, you know, Brian Callahan, probably understands that and and Ren Carthen understands that. One of the things that I thought was interesting is he of course got questions about Will Levis, but also got questions about somebody else. His his father. To which he responded, Oh, he's under contract. Well, that's what he had to say. That's good 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 call there. Good mm, call. Under contract to the Browns. Okay, okay yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. That's what he has to say unless he I wants guess you to start getting fired and overdrafted. Yeah, you, you, you don't want to run into a tampering charge on your first day on the job, I don't guess. So, yeah. But um, I, I would think, though, this kind of falls back to that NCAA pre-existing relationship kind of thing. So, hopefully that won't be too much of an issue. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be really good, you know, not only from a sentimental standpoint, if you're into that sort of thing, but from a coaching standpoint. Bill Callahan's one of the best offensive line coaches in the NFL. So if the Titans were able to go that route, it certainly could not hurt their fortunes in terms of how bad it's been on the offensive line. I'm not ready to say he's going to turn, you know, some of the guys they have into pro bowlers, but he can at least identify guys who have some talent that can come in and be plugged in and get the most out of Terry, what was the one thing Brian Callahan said that jumped out at you um, that maybe wasn't necessarily quarterback related? Well, I think the fact that he said that he and, you know, Rand Carthon hit it off 
you know, from the get-go. I think that he said from the first Zoom interview, he felt like that this was where he wanted to be. And I think, you know, I don't think that was just lip service. I think that is, I think that was genuine coming from him because you saw that he kind of got emotional and choked up about his time in Cincinnati with Zach Taylor and the people there in the Bengals organization. He said he wants to replicate that type of success, that type of atmosphere here. And uh, I think when you look at where this team has been and the approach that this team has taken pretty much for the better part of his existence, I think this is a sign. You've got a general manager coming from the 49ers organization. You've got a head coach coming from the Cincinnati Bengals organization. So you've got two organizations that are more forward-thinking than the Titans have been in a lot of areas, whether that's analytics, whether that's throwing the football, you know, offensive scheme in general. I think we're finally going to see the Titans take a big leap forward in terms of how you win football games in 2024. On a scale, we'll say 10, how confident did you feel like Brian Callahan came across today? I thought he came across as very confident in who he is and what his mission is. Now, it's going to take some time to get there. Like I said, it, you know, I don't, you know, I don't foresee a Houston Texans type turnaround where they go win the division this year. But you never know. I mean, I think within by the end of next season, I would think that you should start seeing progress on this team. Maybe sort of a uh, maybe a Detroit Lions type of ascent, like last year with the Lions were terrible at the first half of the year, but by the end of the year, they were playing pretty decent football. If you can get somewhere in that that uh, lane and, and, you know, and get this team back to seven, eight, nine wins next year, I think that would be a, a major, major upgrade. Terry McCormick joining us here for your Daily Titans update. Again, tomorrow, Terry, we're, we're, we'll have – some highlights from that press conference uh, in the segment before you. And, and so we'll, we'll, we'll deep dive in a little bit more tomorrow into what he said and, and, and get a little bit more into it. But we appreciate your time as always. Looking forward to it. And that just means it's time now to tell us about Zen Sports. The new sports betting app exclusively in Tennessee the last few months, and I'm excited to share with you some big news. Now, when you sign up for a Zen Sports account, you will receive up to a $1,000 no-danger first wager. That's right. When you place your first bet in Zen Sports with up to plus 500 odds, you can be reimbursed for the amount of your bet up to a $1,000 maximum within 24 hours if the bet loses. And there's more good news. Zen Sports is rolling out its brand-new VIP rewards program, this new VIP rewards program will allow top-tier customers to earn more bonuses, comps, and perks. The VIP program is by invite only, so if you feel your Zen Sports play qualifies for VIP consideration, please check out the program details and apply at zensports.com slash VIP. No other sportsbook will offer you a premier sports betting experience with 24-7 top-tier customer support and faster withdrawals than Zen Sports. So what are you waiting for? Get going and download their app at zensports.com today. Zen Sports, betting just got better. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-889-9789. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 and older and in Tennessee to bet. Smiles. These are the healthy smiles of real Delta Dental members. 
folks with access to the nation's largest network of dentists and low deductible plans with 100% preventive care coverage, all backed by over 65 years of expertise. Go online or give us a call to learn about affordable individual plans that meet your needs. 1-855-844-0445. This holiday season, the largest lantern festival in the country returns to Nashville Zoo. Witness more than 1,000 handcrafted Chinese lanterns featuring brand new designs, including towering mythical beasts, a life-sized Santa's workshop, and a 100-foot-long dragon. Welcome back to Zoo Illumination at Nashville Zoo. Bigger, brighter, and better than ever. Welcome back in Main Street Sports Day, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bond and Joint. Chris Yalmo Patton, and we are scheduled to be joined by John Parado. And if we get him, we'll bring him in. If we don't, that's okay. We've got plenty to talk about, including a little Braves chatter here. Yeah. Interesting, interesting departure from the Atlanta Braves organization today as Jim Powell said goodbye the former full-time play-by-play voice of Braves Radio Network uh, has obviously been part-time or has filled in when necessary for Ben Ingram. Uh, Jim says that he will be taking a step either in baseball or out of baseball, but he's not done. So, uh, boy, you know, I, I can, I can't tell you, you know, Jim Powell, last time he wasn't on a Braves broadcast. And, you know, as, as they say here on batterypower.com, um, it sounds as if more than likely it wasn't his call. I don't know if it was or wasn't. But he obviously he obviously wasn't going to be the full time guy. They like and, Ben, and Ben's the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. As you said, I'm not sure what his workload was last year relative to Ben Ingram. Um, we we heard a lot of Ben last year, it, and not that that's a bad thing by any by any stretch but you know certainly we've been used to jim powell in that booth as well for for quite a while um yeah i mean ben and joe took over full time in 21 so i mean it's it's been a couple of years since he's been the full-time guy Mm -hmm. but he's always been kind of on the broadcast he's always you know you you would always hear Ben say, all right, well, Jim Powell now, and Jim would call a couple of innings or something. Even Joe calls some innings. Yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> which, um, is, which is a little interesting, but also fun. So maybe they're, maybe they're just streamlining it a little bit. I don't know. But, I mean, he says in this letter that he's got posted on his Twitter account, at Jim underscore Powell, um, 
been an honor to broadcast so many great games in my hometown. I won't speculate about why this happened. It's professional sports, and we all serve at the pleasure of our employer. Yeah, that definitely that, doesn't that, seem like it was his choice. Yeah, that that doesn't sound like a guy who resigned. So, <laughs> and you hate to yeah. see it, but I mean, like he said, it's professional sports. It's professional journalism, and it happens all the time. Well, and and you know, the fact is that clearly they expected and wanted Ben to be the full time guy. Has been since twenty one. Don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure Jim had other duties as assigned, but hard to pay a play-by-play broadcaster full-time salary when he's not your full-time play-by-play guy. So there you go. Uh, I'll tell you what, Mo, do you want to just go, since we're talking about Braves, you want to just go ahead and go to Throwback Thursday? and We could do that. Let's do that. Let, let's go Throwback Thursday to last Monday when we spoke with Grant McCauley on the Atlanta Braves offseason and hear more from him. Welcome back in Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. Chris Yao, Maurice Patton here with you on this Monday. We're coming to you from the Split Lee Company studio. <laughs> And multiple studios. Yeah, working from home today as neither of us feel comfortable walking in the snow, much less driving in it today. So that's what we're going to be doing. But we have a great show anchored by some great guests, including our next guest, Mo. Uh, yeah, 92.9 The Game out of Atlanta's Grant McCauley now joins us. Grant is it snowing in Atlanta? No, we've got no snow here, and I don't think anybody is too upset about it because when it snows in Atlanta, things go a little bit awry. Well, yeah, un- understood, because when it snows up here, things go a lot awry. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I get it. I Just get a it. bit. Yeah. yeah. Appreciate you. T- nice swag there, man. Well, thank I you. like mm-hmm. that. That's Thank you. I had to do something with all these bobbleheads that they give out over the last couple of years. And it's more and more. When I was growing up, it was like a couple of years. Now I think they give somewhere between 12 and 15 bobbleheads per season, which uh, seems a bit excessive. But then again, they haven't run out of ideas. <laughs> One per series, huh? At least, yeah. Yeah. Um, what is the bigger news regarding the Braves? Is it last Thursday's agreement with Max Free to avoid arbitration, or is it the Perdomo signing? Um, I mean, I would say from a big picture perspective, like longer term, the Perdomo is much more of an exciting kind of signing because the Max Fried one is expected. I mean, they were either going to go to arbitration or they were going to agree to a deal, which they did, which is the first time in a couple of years, which is not a small thing, but you knew Max Fried was going to be here in 2024 to make a long story short. The Perdomo signing though, I mean, you think about what the Braves had to go through after 2017 when MLB handed down those sanctions and they couldn't sign international free agents for so long, well, now they're signing one of, if not the top guys in this class. And that's been a minute for the Atlanta Braves. Now, in the international field of play, as far as signing these free agents, it doesn't necessarily guarantee that the guy you pay the most is going to give you the most, as has been shown very many times. But I think that this is a talent the Braves are very high on, very excited about. 
And as a young, toolsy shortstop, you look at where the Braves are set up over the course of the rest of this decade and maybe beyond, shortstop's not really locked down long-term. So maybe this is a guy who's going to figure in to being one of the fixtures of this club, and they can figure out what they need to do and want to do as far as Max Fried is concerned beyond 2024. So I'd give Perdomo the edge as far as the excitement factor. Avoiding arbitration with Max, does that do anything for the likelihood of re-signing him, do you think? I kind of thought so. I mean, the last couple of years, they have gone to that. Great. Uh, Or doesn't think that you're as good as maybe you think you are. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's the best way to Mm -hmm. say it. But Corbin Burns with the Milwaukee Brewers, I mean, he had harbored some serious hurt feelings over his arbitration hearing with Milwaukee. And now it seems like as he heads into his final year of control, he may be another guy that's going to be looking to go out on the free agent market and not really look at re-signing a long-term deal and not really be open to that. But I don't necessarily think that's Max Fried's case. I've talked to Max over the years, including after his arbitration hearing last year. He understands the process. He likes Atlanta. He obviously loves playing for this team. He loves the winning that they're able to do. But as you get closer to free agency, as we've seen with Freddie Freeman and Dansby Swanson, which again, these are different players, different cases, it doesn't necessarily portend well to getting that extension done, but it doesn't rule it out entirely. So I did feel like, to kind of answer your question in the longest form possible, that <laughs> avoiding the arbitration hearing does feel like a little bit of something, maybe a little bit of progress, and maybe that will be something that can spark some talks going forward. I've always just felt like, Grant, when they were handing out all of the other extensions to, to Acuna and, and Ozzy and Austin and everybody else that when Max wasn't in it, I, I just felt like he wanted to get to free agency. Possibly. I, I mean, everybody looks at it. I think every player does realistically in that you play six years under a certain team and, you know, they can trade you. They control you for that six years. And then you go beyond that and you get to kind of pick your contract. If you play well enough to get clubs interested, that's what free agency is all, all about. And, you know, getting that process to maybe have your current club involved and then find out five or six other teams would like to have you play there and get the big money, that is going to be appealing to any player. But when I looked at all those extensions, only one of them has been handed out to a pitcher, and that was Spencer Strider, and that was in his first full year in the major league. So I feel like that's kind of the differential between a Max Fried who's more tenured and a younger guy like Spencer Strider who has a totally different skill set, is obviously a very exciting pitcher and can be for a long time. Breed's just in a different place, and especially the position players that I felt like when clubs give out big money and when you think about these deals, you feel, I think, a little bit more confident, a little bit more comfortable with position players than pitchers because you know that they're always potentially one pitch away from an injury. So I think that's why the Braves kind of stayed away from handing out a lot of pitcher uh, extensions over the past few years. And obviously Max has had a couple of issues uh, injury-wise as well, so perhaps that has uh, had the Braves shy away a little bit from an extension to Max. I'm not sure, but I do think that next year's free agent class for pitchers Mm -hmm. certainly gives the Braves some options, if not, Max Freed. So I guess, you know, it's kind of a gamble, but at least you feel like you've got maybe 
a king or a queen in the hole, if not an ace. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and obviously they were linked to going after Aaron Nola. If he was going to be interested in moving on from Philadelphia, I don't know that he was necessarily motivated to move on. And clearly the Phillies stepped up and took that question or that opportunity away from the Braves and every other club that would have liked to have had him. But I, I could still see the a world in which the Braves re-signed Max Freed. But again, as you get into free agency and you look at the way the Braves have spent over the years, are they always going to be able to find a Charlie Morton or a Chris Sale more recently? to patch their rotation with somebody that they believe in a lot, or at some point, I mean, I know they've got Spencer Strider locked down. Would you not like to lock in and know that you've got Max Freed coming back for a number of years rather than feeling like you're in your last year potentially, and you got to go search for answers every year? That's a hard process to go through, and I would imagine for Alex Anthopoulos and his front office, it's a little bit challenging to find those arms you believe in because we know they've built a club and an offense that can certainly power this team through the regular season, but you need those arms come October. And Max Free could very well be one of those arms. And the more often, Grant, you do have to go and search for those arms, you know, the more likely that at one point you're going to hit a clunker. Sure, sure. And you look at 2020, they wanted to supplement that rotation with Cole Hamels. And he ended up being injured. He was hurt. I think that's a bit of a cautionary tale. Now, the flip side of that coin was Max Freed. I had a conversation with him last spring about this as well. Cole Hamels meant a lot to him because he saw a lot of what Cole Hamels had accomplished in his career was how Max was looking, what he was looking to become. And starting in 2020, he really took that big step, that next step into being one of the best left-handers in baseball. And I think Cole Hamels was a big influence for him over the course of that year. But when you think about you know, the possibilities, I mean, I know it's risky signing people to long-term contracts. I know it's you know, a risk that you take, maybe not signing someone to a long-term contract and having to search for somebody else. That's why when the question comes up, well, should the Braves trade Max Freed if they can't sign him long-term? And I say the answer to that is no, because then you got to replace him. And who are you going to replace him with? And as you just pointed out, maybe who you get in is not going to be as good as who you had. But that, of course, is the question of baseball, and it renews year after year after year. What is the best way and what is the best grouping that you can put together to make the club the best it can? And I think that's something Alex Anthopoulos and, and his group have been very committed to. But with Max Freed getting close to free agency, it's just going to be a different form of that question. And you know, for Max, he's going to have that opportunity to look around and have other clubs looking at him. And what is that free agent market going to look like? As we've seen over the past few years, it can be pretty rich. And a guy like Max Freed, who's been a perennial Cy Young Award candidate, that's a guy that I think a lot of clubs are going to be looking at. Grant McCauley of 92.9 The Game joining us here on Main Street Sports today. And Grant, this is this is kind of, well, we're a month away now, less than a month away from pitchers and catchers, which is an exciting Couldn't time. Couldn't tell it looking out our window, but, but no. yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not snowing in Florida. Yeah, it is not snowing in Florida, thank goodness. But, you know, when, when this club gets down there, there are, what, uh, three, four, five open spots on the 40-man, are those spots going to be for the taking during spring training, or do the Braves have an idea of you know maybe going out and signing some vet guys? What, what's the plan? Yeah, I think that they're going to over the next few weeks, and maybe even into the early portion of spring training, or the latter part, when clubs have to make those cuts, and maybe they don't have room for a couple of players that make sense for the Braves, they'll be able to fill that 40-man out. But it's unlike any year I've ever seen where there were at one point, I believe, eight spots open on the 40-man after they made the trade with the White Sox to get Aaron Bummer. 
and they essentially loaded up everybody that they could have non-tendered or were considering not offering a contract to and sent them to the White Sox. And that was a, a bit of a strange, I guess, series of events there that I just had not seen before. I still think they need a right-hand hitting outfielder that would help them off the bench. Uh, they signed Luis Guillorme, who was formerly of the New York Mets, as kind of a versatile infield option. David Fletcher's not on the 40-man right now, but he was picked up from the Angels. I think he takes one of those spots. So you're probably realistically looking at maybe three, possibly four spots on the 40-man that I think will be filled within that next month leading up to spring training. Gotcha. You touched, Grant, on the trade of that, that saw Atlanta pick up Chris Sale from the Red Sox mm-hmm. um, in exchange for – is he still a prospect, Grant uh, Vaughn Grissom? I, think so. I mean, I, it's... I think so. He's he's close to graduating from it, you know, exceeding those rookie limits, I guess. Mm-hmm. But technically, when you just turn 23 and you're still trying to find that full-time job in the majors and you have as good a year as he had in AAA last year, I would consider him a prospect, at least in spirit, if not by designation these days. But he's right on that fringe. Can you please explain something to me? Sure. Because you, you, you see a lot more... Braves baseball than I do, which it, it's hard to believe, but you do. Uh, why was Grant was Vaughn Grissom not the answer at shortstop? I think the biggest thing. thing for the Braves was the continuity of the everyday defense, and it's just a position that they weren't able to truly believe and commit to him. That that he was going to be able to cover that position every single day. And I think that as you looked at the opportunities that he got at shortstop in the big leagues, they were fleeting, obviously. They just wanted to go with somebody who offered a bit of a more, I think, steady hand. And Orlando Arcia was the right guy at the right time and was able to step up and take that job. Now, Vaughn, I think if he could have pivoted over to second base, that might have made some sense for the Braves. but they have an awfully good second baseman, so they didn't need that. He's not going to move to third base because they have an awfully good third baseman, and I just don't think that Vaughn Grissom offers the power profile that you're looking for out of a corner outfielder. So even though the Braves talked about him going down and playing winter ball and and doing those things, which I commend Vaughn Grissom for doing, obviously, because he's trying to find a bats however he can, I didn't see him being the answer in left field without the Braves turning over a lot of other stones first, and clearly Jared Kelnick changed that equation. And I think as Alex Anthopoulos talked about it with the media, you know, a couple of weeks ago uh, upon that trade, they weren't going to get this deal done without Vaughn Grissom being included. So that just seemed to be a thing where the Braves didn't really have an opportunity to play him every day. And as a young player that could bring them something back like a Chris Sale, I think it was the right time to make that move. And hopefully Chris Sale can remain healthy. 20 starts for the first time in five years this past season, over 100 innings. That's things trending in the right direction. They finished the season strong. And if they get a healthy Chris Sale in that rotation, that's really what the Braves were looking for all winter. So I think a lot of different roads all kind of came together to have Vaughn Grissom be the player that went to Boston to bring Chris Sale to Atlanta. Clearly his first major league home run made an impression on the Red Sox. I would say so. It made an impression on me. I know that. <laughs> no doubt. Where, and, and I'm not sure that you know, where do you think he figures in in Boston? Just out of curiosity. I'm kind of interested to see that, to be honest with you, because they have some young infield prospects. I think Trevor Story's been battling injury the last couple of years, but obviously we saw uh, Xander Bogarts go sign with the San Diego Padres. So I don't think everything's settled on their infield, and there's a little bit more opportunity at one place or another 
than there was for the Braves, where they really didn't seem to be much, if any, opportunity beyond shortstop. Could he play the outfield there some? I guess. But I could see him being more of like maybe a super utility guy for them that could get the occasional start at third when Rafael Devers is not in the lineup, start at short, start at second. And he's a useful player in terms of his bat-to-ball skills. So I just feel like there's more of an overall opportunity, a clearer opportunity for Von Grissom up in Boston. Yeah, you know, it. sometimes when you have an offense as good as the Braves have and, and, and a defense really as good as the Braves have, there are just going to be some guys, some good guys, who aren't good enough. And that's a testament to what this this organization has built over the last five years. Yeah, it definitely is. And then when you look at what they need, their list of needs was very specific and very short. and you have a chance to go out and get somebody like a Jared Kelnick, who was a super prospect a few years ago. Yvonne Grissom was a very good prospect. Jared Kelnick was a mega prospect, and I think that there's still a lot in his bat. He's still a young player. I think the Braves are excited to kind of get him in their laboratory and work on that swing and see what they can unlock there. So I feel like that, with five years of control, made a ton of sense in left field. And then, obviously, making the Chris Sale trade was important to them to supplement that rotation beyond just bringing back Charlie Morton. So the Braves, as they fortified the bullpen and the background of all of that, were able to check off pretty much every major box and do so really without having to part with a lot of their younger prospects, the younger arms, the A.J. smith Shavers, Hurston Waldrips and the like, that I think they do see potentially being answers for what we initially started talking about. What does the rotation look like in the future, particularly if Max Fried is not a part of that rotation? This is Chris Yao with Main Street Sports Today. Every show, Mo Patton and I welcome friends from all across the sports landscape, from high school coaches and reporters to national, college, and pro sports personalities. You never know who might stop by for a chat. She's on Thinking Out Loud, presented by Regions, and out of pocket with Alyssa Lang. It is, in fact, Alyssa, Alyssa Lang. I'm a little nervous. I'm going to lower the bar for guests now. Oh, no. I'm like, apologies in advance. It sounds like CC Commissioner Greg Sankey. Got that radio voice. I know. It's a good sound. Thanks for radio, too. As do we. (laughs) And then here's the other thing. You guys, you're spot on with the name. Everybody wants to be on Main Street. Everybody wants to be on Main Street. So, and we reach every Main Street in Middle Tennessee. Coach. Yeah, that's it. So Perfect. when you are on Main Street and you are moving, you gotta love it. Like you're moving. I was impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad like, someone. Okay. Welcome back in Main Street Sports Day, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. I hope you enjoyed that throwback to last week when we talked with Grant McCauley about the Atlanta Braves. We'll continue some baseball talk now as John Parado joins us here on Main Street Sports today. John, what's going on? Thanks for thanks for your uh, flexibility there. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I guess as they say in the TV world, I had technical difficulties here with my my internet, but Hopefully it's solved and I, I won't uh, disappear on you in the middle of the interview. Well, if, if you do, it won't be the first time and hopefully we won't disappear on you. But John, um, <laughs> wanted to wanted to get some thoughts from you as 
we've talked on the show about the the Hall of Fame class of 24 that was finalized earlier this week, Beltray, Maurer, Helton. Um, any thoughts about them and Jim Leland? I mean, were you surprised by any of those? Did you expect anybody else, or did you not expect any of those three? Well, I, I voted for all three of uh, the players who got in, Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, and, and Todd Helton. And I, I thought, I've thought all along they're ho- been Hall of Famers. Although I have, it took me a couple of years to come around on on Todd Helton. I, you know, I, I must admit I got caught up in a lot of other people do and saying, well, he played in Denver in the Mile High, you know, air and Coors Field where the ball really carries and it's a hitter's haven. But the more I looked at his road stats, he could hit on the road too. He wasn't just a, a, a totally a product of Coors Field. He more than held his own on the road and. And you look at his career, and I, I think there's no doubt uh, that he's a Hall of Famer. And I guess the one one player I thought would get in who didn't was Billy Wagner. He was five votes short. I think you know you could certainly make a case he was the, the been the greatest left-handed reliever in, in the history of baseball. And uh, I thought Gary Sheffield might pick up a little more momentum in his last year on the ballot, but. Uh, you know, I voted for him all 10 years he was on the ballot, but he uh, he only got the 61%, and you need 75 to make it. And uh, I think I, I do think once he goes to one of the veterans committees here in a few years, I do think when his peers vote on him, I think they appreciate him more than maybe us in the media appreciated what he did in his career. It's probably accurate. Uh, and and sometimes you know sometimes it's it's there are a lot of factors that go into the media portion of the vote that don't necessarily impact that the shouldn't player necessarily vote. go into the media vote yeah but it, and it doesn't impact the players and that sort of thing so I think you're probably right there I, I did I I do agree with you that Gary Sheffield probably should and likely will be at some point inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, you mentioned Billy Wagner next year's his 10th year on the ballot. Uh, so, and of course he, he came up five votes short this year. You feel like that's going to, uh, find its way over the top, but you can only vote for 10 and next year's first ballot guys, pretty strong. <laughs> it so, is. Yes. How it much really does that is. impact, you know, guys like. Guys like Andrew Jones, who are still trending upward but not quite there, or Beltran, or et cetera. Well, I think it does impact them because, like you said, Chris, you can only you can only vote for ten, and and I know especially there for a while when there was a real logjam on the ballot five six years back when a lot of the uh, quote unquote steroid guys came onto the ballot. I left some people off of my ballot who, if I could have voted for more than 10, I would have voted for. And I know I left Edgar Martinez off one year, and I thought Edgar Martinez was a Hall of Famer. I just didn't think he was better than the 10 players that I voted ahead of him. 
And boy, did I kept check from the Seattle fans for days on, on social media about that. So, yeah, I think that could definitely uh, work against Andrew Jones and, and Carlos Beltran. Uh, you know, Andrew Jones is, is, is steadily picked up momentum here each year on the ballot to this year, and he, he kind of plateaued a little bit. And I do wonder if he might end up just being, uh, you know, left off because of a log jam. That's it's a very good point guys who will be on the ballot for the first time in 2020 well for the 2025 class include Ichiro, uh, CC Sabathia, Dustin Pedroia, Ian Kinsler, King Felix, and Tulo. Off the top of your head, John, which of those would you definitely be voting for other than Ichiro? Well, I think Ichiro especially, I, I think, you know, I mean, it's it amazing. He, did, he didn't come to this country until he was 27 or 28 to play in the major leagues and had over 3,000 hits. He had 1,500 hits in Japan. You total it all up, and I, I think it was 4,600 and, and some total he finished with. And, I mean, you know, he was one of the most unique players of his era or any era, really. And I, I got to look at CC Spathy as a Hall of Famer. I know I've talked to some people that say, ah, I really have to study it. I mean, I, I don't want to say 100% sure I would vote for him right now. I would like to take, you know, a closer gander at his looks. But I also think a lot of times the eye test is the biggest thing. And to me, CC Spathy was a Hall of Famer. And I'll have to be convinced that he isn't rather than convinced that he is. Yeah. It would be hard to convince someone that he's not, in my opinion. I mean, his numbers are, like you said, fantastic. Hey, you could always uh, garner the support of the Seattle folks if you voted for King Felix yeah. <laughs> along with Ichiro. You could get him back, John. You know, that's going to be an interesting case because when the King was good, he was really, really good. But, boy, yeah. you know, they rode him hard. He had a lot of 220, 230 inning seasons, and, and he really fell off in a hurry in his career. And I just wonder, and, and this, again, this is something I would have to dig in deeper, but my initial gut reaction is he just was, wasn't great long enough to be a Hall of Famer. But, but he certainly made his mark, and he certainly had some wonderful years and a uh, you know, very beloved figure in Seattle. John, isn't that a similar train of thought with Tulo? Yeah, you know, uh, Tulo was uh, early on in his career. You look at his first five, six, seven years, you can say he was definitely on a Hall of Fame course. And, you know, unfortunately for him, he had a, a lot of injuries there at the end in, in Colorado. And, you know, he went over to Toronto and he had a bit of a rebirth for a while, for a year or two with the Blue Jays, he was able to stay healthy and he helped them get to the American League Championship Series. But then uh, the injuries hit again and, you know, he, he really, you know, much like uh, Felix Hernandez, he really tailed off in a hurry. And, uh, you know, he was he was a good player, but boy, I just don't think he had enough over the course of his career to say he's a Hall of Famer. Hall of very good. Yes. <laughs> John Parado of Sports Kita joining us here on Main Street Sports today, talking a little Hall of Fame. Um, obviously, Chris and I are huge Andrew Jones guys. I mean, what do you think it's going to take for him to get in? That next year will be his next to last year of eligibility. 
you know, what, what I think helps him, and especially with the voting, uh, the voting pool of writers getting younger as more of the older folks drop off, which is, I'm an older folk myself, and I haven't dropped off yet, thankfully. But, you know, guys, that are re- once you retire, you have a vote for 10 more years, and, and that's it. So you do have a number of older voters who are falling off the rolls, I guess, for lack of a better term. And I do think a lot of the younger writers take analytics more into account in their vote than perhaps the older generation does. And when you look at it analytically, war and things of that nature really count more, de- it put more emphasis on defense than maybe the old school people do. And Andrew Jones's defensive metrics were, you know, through the roof. I mean, you can make a, a case if you go strictly by the numbers. He was not only the greatest center fielder ever defensively, but the greatest defensive player in baseball history. And you guys saw him for a long time. I, I saw him throughout his career. And, you know, again, He's a guy that dropped off late in his career. After he left Atlanta, he was never the same player again. But boy, those years in Atlanta, he was as good as just about everyone and and, and nobody. You know, I, I only saw Willie Mays very when I was young, very little bit at the end of his career. So, I, but I, I've never seen another center fielder as good as Andrew Jones. Neither had Willie Mays. <laughs> no. Of course, so. Willie didn't watch himself either. Yeah. But Andrew was <laughs> awfully good. Andrew was awfully, awfully good. And I do think the defensive metrics that have, that have been developed here in the last 10 to 15 years have really helped his case. I think if you would be voting for him 20 years ago with a 254 career average, he might not even got the 5% vote to be on the ballot once. But, but I think, I think the, the modern voters and even myself appreciate the value of defense more than, than we used to. I think you're exactly right. So, well, John, it's a, uh, it, it's always interesting when hall of fame time comes around because everybody's got an opinion and then not everybody's got a vote. You do. And so we appreciate your opinion a little bit more than most. And absolutely. Hope it's a fascinating process. It, it really is. Nothing sparks more debate than Hall of Fame discussions. And I think it's great. I think it's great for the game. It's great for the Hall of Fame. And, and it's fun because everybody looks at a player differently. And, and, and in, a, in a lot of ways, there really is no right or wrong answers mm-hmm. to a lot of these debates. John, we appreciate you taking time and, again, being flexible with us as, as oh, we my pleasure. Uh, we get you on here. and We we always appreciate it. And, again, there there's a story up uh You've got a story about the Pirates and Noah Syndergaard up right now. Yeah. And that's a that's an interesting thought process. I, I, I bet he's got a story up on Aroldis Chapman as well. Well, yes, I was going to say, that's, uh, it looks like Pittsburgh is putting together uh, some ideas, at least. <laughs> so good for they, them. They keep saying the manager and the general manager and the owner and the players all say they plan to contend this year. I, you know, I look at that team right now and I, I still see a, a hole in the starting rotation and, and lacking one more, one more big bat in the lineup, but you know, it's a winnable division the nationally central, you know, there's no overpowering team in the division. So, you know, they did uh, they did win 76 games last year after losing 100 the previous two years. So they are on the upswing, and, and the division is wide open enough that, you know, anyone can dream at this time of year. 
maybe O'Neill Cruz is that big bet. That would help if he comes back strong. And, you know, we saw him, uh, the writers, uh, three weeks ago, the Pirates had their fan festival right after the holidays that, that weekend. And he was there and he said his ankle feels fine. He played some some simulated games at the Dominican Academy. And, you know, I mean, he's a tremendous talent. I won't say he's a tremendous player yet. He still has a way to go. But he has a very big-time power He's very fast. He has a cannon for an arm at shortstop. And I mean, really, and I hate to say this because I've seen this with other players, but the sky really is the limit with this guy. If he puts it all together, he'll be one of the top five players in the game if he puts it all together. If you ever get a chance to get a ticket to a Pittsburgh-Cincinnati game with O'Neill Cruz and, and Ellie De La Cruz, take it. So Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, John, we appreciate it, man. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Always good talking with you. All right, we'll take a quick, quick break. When we come back, rapid fire right after this. This is Chris Yao with Main Street Sports Today. Every show, Mo Patton and I welcome friends from all across the sports landscape, from high school coaches and reporters to national, college, and pro sports personalities. You never know who might stop by for a chat. AP Tennessee Sports Editor, three-time Tennessee Sports Writer of the Year 2020 TSWA Hall of Famer. She covers the Titans, the Predators, the Grizzlies, college football, and hoops. Please make welcome, Teresa Walker. Former University of Tennessee, former Team USA Olympian, XI Young Award winner, R.A. Dickey. R.A., did I miss anything? Man, that was sweet. <laughs> yeah, I need to listen to that before I go to bed every night. That was nice. Has five sports Emmys. That's not bad for the other guy in Wham. <laughs> other guy Wham married the best looking girl Bananarama, so other guy Wham had a pretty good life. From preps to pros, we're taking on the sports topics you care about. Tune in across Main Street Media social platforms at 2 p.m. or on demand on your podcast distribution platform of choice. Welcome back in. Time now for a quick look at topics from around the sports world because yeah, a lot of football but not just football yeah let me wedge one in real quick that ain't down there too um five o'clock today at summit the region six double a dual wrestling tournament will take place you've got um nolensville and brentwood wrestling you've got summit and ravenwood wrestling and you've got those winners wrestling the two semifinal winners or the two championship teams We'll advance to sectionals this weekend and trying to get to next weekend's state duels. So, All right. We'll start. We've got co- a lot of coaching stuff. Obviously, Jim Harbaugh has been we've, – we've talked about that. But <clears throat> don't know if you've seen this. Dino Babers, offensive coordinator, Arizona. Hmm, good for him. So that's, that's, a, that's a big win for that, that staff, and hopefully he gets paid. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully the check's clear. That's all I can say for it. That's a good thing. That's, that's, but yeah, that's good. good Good for Arizona. That's that's a solid hire for them. Uh, in the NFL world, so the Raiders, the Titans, the Chargers, and now the Panthers, Panthers. have a head Panthers. coach. Yeah, the Panthers named a um, 
you know, named former Buccaneers offensive coordinator Dave Canales as their new head coach. And I wonder if his work with shorter quarterbacks played a role. Hmm. It's an interesting thought. Uh, probably. I mean, Baker's not a big guy. No, and I, I wanted to get Justin's thoughts on this because I heard a, I heard a since he's a Baker guy, mm-hmm. a rumor from, you know, I guess social media is what it is that wherever Bill Belichick ends up, Baker might be getting a call mm. because I didn't know this. Bill Belichick had the 32nd pick in the NFL draft the year Baker Mayfield came out, and he still sent Josh McDaniels to Norman, Oklahoma, to work out Baker Mayfield because he liked him that much. Wow. Don't recognize Belly him. And, Belly and Baker? Belly and Baker. Little Belly Baker action, bro? I, 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 feel, I feel like that would be cool to watch. What a gritty combo. Mm, that's... Both on That's the tail end, nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. Just <laughs> out there and cook, bake. I'm just saying. I thought that was an interesting. That's very to... intriguing. Yeah, I, I I had never heard the story about him sending me Daniels to work him out. So now that I know that Belichick was a Baker guy, even though he knew he was going number one overall, he still went down there <laughs> no, I and worked him out. Daniel was Dude. like, why? <laughs> doing your due diligence because you you never know. So anyway, huh. yeah, Canales I think is a good I think it's a good hire for for the Panthers. I I don't know if it's a great idea on Canales's part, but you know <laughs> I guess you got to start somewhere, and if you want a job, that's 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 one you can take. Hey, there's only thirty two of them. So. There you go. Yeah. Um, Associated Press NFL Comeback Player of the Year finalists, speaking of Baker Mayfield. Speaking of Baker Mayfield, he is one of the five finalists for that award, along with fellow quarterbacks Joe Flacco, Matthew Stafford, and Tua. And the fifth finalist is (laughs) DeMar Hamlin. So, for those who can't see what we're looking at, I love that Mo, Mo, Mo did you write this? Mm-hmm. He used everybody's last name except Tua. Well, <laughs> I was trying it's to It's a lot easier to type Tua. It's a lot easier to type Tua and trying to keep everything on one line. One line. Well, again, it's just, it's just easier to type Tua. And it's yeah. just like, oh, you know, whatever. But, yeah, it's this is an interesting. Uh, it's, it's not like he's going to get confused with anybody no. else. I ain't it, but one Tua. <laughs> exactly. It's like Ichiro. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, this is an interesting list to find with Mayfield Flacco. I, I think I think there's a good argument for all of them except maybe Stafford. I don't I think Stafford's probably fifth on this list of five. But this is a pretty tough list when you really look at it. How do you come back from more than DeMar Hamlin has? I understand, but I mean, for football purposes, Joe Flacco's career was over as dead over. (laughs) But I mean, (laughs) 
It was over. Yeah, and he it came I mean, back and won two ball games. I mean, he was literally at home on the couch. On he the was, couch. Yeah, he was done. He was done, and and you know, cool with being done. So, I'll, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Oh, it definitely but will again, be interesting to see how it goes. It, Demar Hamlin. It's kind of my favorite in the clubhouse. Yeah, I, I mean, logically it's, speaking, it, it, <laughs> the fact that you can even be on the team and and find the field. Obviously, he didn't play nearly as much as he was before. He didn't, you know. There there was a lot of limitations on his playing time, but he played, <laughs> and that's that's enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> um. Also, what I feel like is a no brainer. Hmm. Pro Football Writers Association <laughs> Coach of the of Year. Yeah. Uh, Pro PFWA's Coach of the Year, D'Amico Ryan's no surprise there. I, I don't think. Uh, you wouldn't think. You wouldn't think. Um, and like I said, anybody that gives that award this year that doesn't come to this same outcome, you got to look at it a little askew, as they say. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's see. No more NFL news to get to, so let's get into the Nashville Sounds, who have announced their 2024 coaching staff. Sweet. (laughs) Gotta love it. Yeah. Rick is back at the helm. Um, Let's... Sounds to their third straight winning uh, winning record last year. This will be his 11th year in the Brewers organization and um, fourth with the Sounds, where he became the winningest manager in club history at the end of last year. Um, also, Jeremy Accardo returns as pitching coach. Um, Al Labouf and a young guy are going to split hitting coaching duties. Um, I'm not familiar with this guy, Eric Thiessen. So those will be your on-field guys. Uh, David Tufo, Tufo, are you looking at this? T-U-F-O, this is a bench coach? I have no idea. This is why we're not trying out to be the PA announcers, Mo. No, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Coach Ned Yost the fourth, bullpen coach Patrick McGuff. Jeff Paxson is back as athletic trainer with assistant Benny Arroyo. Um, strength and conditioning coach Andrew Emick and assistant strength and conditioning specialist Garrett Plumley will comprise the Sounds coaching staff for the 2024 season. So. Uh, I want to also mention the uh, the managers for the Braves organization mm-hmm. in Triple A Gwinnett, Kankoa Teixeira. It's a really sure. tough name to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, Angel Flores in Mississippi, Cody Gabella in Rome, Winston Sawyer in Augusta, who was just in the minors like two years ago, <laughs> Nestor Perez, the FCL Braves, and the DSL Braves, Michael Gonzalez. So, yeah, Kankoa Teixeira, who has. Is is my age. Have fun with that one. Uh, All right. o'clock tonight, number one, South Carolina at number nine, LSU. Be sure and check it out. It will be a good one. We'll see you guys tomorrow here on Main Street Sports Day at 2 o'clock.